This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, episode 199, Buy, Borrow, Die, How Bezos, Buffett, Musk, and You Can Pay Zero Dollars in Taxes. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. What if you could build massive amounts of wealth and never pay taxes? I mean, truly tax-free wealth. You're going to want to listen to every second of today's episode because I'm going to cover a ton of ground and it's going to reveal some of the strategies by which the super rich have avoided completely uh, taxes over their lifetime and even beyond their lifetime. So I think it's going to be a very important episode for anybody interested in building wealth and avoiding unnecessary taxation. But first, I want to talk to you about a group called ProPublica. They're an investigative newsroom. They've obtained a vast trove of internal revenue service data on the tax returns of thousands of the nation's wealthiest people covering more than 15 years. The data that they provided offers an unprecedented look at the inside of financial lives of American titans, including folks like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Rupert Murdoch, and Mark Zuckerberg. It shows not just their income and taxes, but also their investments, their stock trades, their gambling winnings, and even the results of tax audits. Some of the key pieces, in 2007, Jeff Bezos, who was even then a multi-billionaire, and even now today the world's richest man, did not pay a penny in federal income taxes. He achieved the feat once again in 2011. In 2018, Tesla founder Elon Musk, the second richest person in the world, also paid exactly no federal income taxes. Michael Bloomberg managed to do the same in recent years, and Carl Icahn did it twice. Uh, the list goes on and on and on in this report. The IRS records show that the wealthiest can and perfectly legally do pay income taxes that are only a tiny, tiny fraction of the hundreds of millions, if not billions, their fortunes grow by each year. Now, as I say all this, my guess is that you have one of two responses. Depending on how you react to the news might tell you something about your principles and your beliefs. Was your first reaction to the news there one of rage and anger? Something like, hey, how can they get away with that? That's not fair. Then you might as well turn off this podcast and pick up a protest sign. We will see you back here next week. On the other hand, if your first instinct was curiosity, not so much how could they do that, but how did they do that? And how could I do it too? Well, that's definitely something that I think uh, warrants further investigation. That's what we're going to spend the rest of our episode talking about. Now, guys, I can totally appreciate your frustration. Having just paid a significant income tax myself, many Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They're amassing little wealth and the federal government sees a percentage of their income as theirs. And as your income rises, you just pay more tax. In recent years, the median American household earned about $70,000 a year and paid 14% in federal taxes. The highest income tax rate is 37%. And that kicks in for couples earning over 628 grand. Now, these confidential records showed that the ultra-rich essentially sidestepped this whole system. Now, compared how much in taxes the 25 richest Americans paid each year to how much 
the average American pays. Again, according to Forbes, those 25 people saw their wealth rise at a collective $401 billion from 2014 to 2018. They paid $13.6 billion in federal taxes. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it really amounts to only 3.4% of their wealth that had increased over that same period of time. Now, we could talk about how wealth is different than income, and that's definitely the topic for another podcast. And uh, so I'm not here to debate the ethics of one particular tax rate or another, but let's talk about whether or not this is a legitimately legal uh, strategy and how you can participate in it, even if you don't have mega billions. So how do the mega billionaires pay their mega bills while opting for you know things like $1 salaries and then you know, spending lavishly. According to the public documents and the experts, the answer for some of these wealthy Americans is to borrow money, to borrow money and to borrow lots of money. In fact, for regular people, borrowing money is usually seen as a negative thing, say a car loan or a home loan. But the ultra wealthy see a loan as a way to access billions of dollars without having to pay any taxes because it's not income. The math here is a clear incentive. In the tax law, if you own a company and you take a huge salary, you're going to pay 37% in income tax on the bulk of your salary. If you sell your stock in that same company, you're going to pay 20% on your capital gains, and you're going to lose some control over your company at the exact same time. Neither of these sound like great options. But if you take out a loan, and these days, loans you'll pay single-digit interest rates, you pay no tax on that loan. Now, loans are supposed to be paid back, and the IRS does not consider a loan income. Banks typically require some sort of collateral. But, of course, wealthy folks have plenty of collateral. What is collateral? Well, I'll give you an example. Last year, Tesla reported that Musk had pledged some 92 million Tesla shares, which were worth about... Oh, $57 billion as of 2021 May, and he had used that as collateral for personal loans. And Carl Icahn actually says, you know, hey, there's a reason why it's called an income tax, he said. He said, the reason is, if you're a poor person, a rich person, if you're Apple, if you have no income, you pay no taxes. If you have no income, you pay no taxes. So Carl Icahn has a, a proverb here, a bit of wisdom, but I want to leave the news headlines and spend the rest of this episode learning how you and we all can do what the wealthy do and even beat them at their own game. I'd like to show you a way you can supercharge this strategy that the wealthy are using with bank on yourself and even prepare yourself to survive and thrive even, even when the uber wealthy see their empires begin to crumble. So I want you to get out a piece of paper and write down these three words. The first word, buy, that's B-U-Y. Second word, borrow, B-O-R-R-O-W. And then the third letter is die, D-I-E. Now, each of those words represents steps in our strategy, the buy, borrow, die strategy. Each of these words relates to a feature of the American income tax law, a feature of the American income tax law that has been there for over 100 years and is likely to continue to exist into the future. It's a key to really living tax-free people like Warren Buffett and more are using these same three principles. So let's go through each of these principles one at a time. The first word, buy. First, you buy assets. 
buy assets. You buy something that will go up in value. Uh, let's say you buy an asset that's not going to produce any cash. That's a key distinction. So you want to buy something like a stock that does not pay a dividend, for example, uh, in this step. So maybe you buy a house, your own personal home. That will go up in value without producing any cash either. At least my house doesn't have an ATM attached, right? So there's, there's no cash coming out of my personal home. That is the buy step. The buy step works because of the realization requirement, which has been around in the American tax law for over 100 years. You don't pay tax on an asset until and unless you sell it or it otherwise produces cash. So if you're just buying and holding, like you're just owning your house you're, or you're just owning you know, a specific company that doesn't pay a dividend, like Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, or you're owning a sports franchise and it's going up and up and up and up in value and you're not paying tax until you sell it. And in the strategy of buy, borrow, die, there is no selling. There's no sell. So we're not talking about your typical mutual fund, right? Honestly, there's internal taxes due on mutual funds because inside the mutual fund, they are constantly buying and selling stock. And you're constantly, whether you realize it or not, you're actually taxed even if you don't get the cash on that mutual fund, okay? Because they're churning stocks inside that mutual fund. So you're getting taxable gains even though you just held it inside the mutual fund. So that's step one, is to buy an asset that does not produce cash. Step two, borrow. So step one was was the uh, inevitable rise in value without cash income. That's a lot of fun, helps us feel better about ourselves, but you can't really eat unrealized appreciation. <laughs> you can't use it as, as a, a way to buy stuff at the grocery store. So how are you going to get cash to support your lifestyle? And the answer is step two, you borrow. And again, ever since the history of income tax in this country, borrowing has not been considered income. You don't pay tax when you borrow money. For example, you, you bought your home, let's say, it went up in value. You need to take some money out of the home. You do something called an equity loan, or maybe you have stock. Maybe it's going up in value so you can take out a margin loan, or you have a gold bullion and you find a way to borrow against the gold. In all these cases, when you borrow, you don't pay any tax on that loan. Okay, so step two is borrowing. Now, I always wanna have our listeners understand why. I always want to make sure that you understand why you don't pay a tax when you borrow. And you don't pay a tax when you borrow because you eventually have to pay back that loan. You have an obligation at some point to pay it back. So one of the main reasons why the wealthy are able to avoid taxes is because instead of earning money and spending that, they're borrowing money and spending that instead. It's a big difference between spending money that you earn and spending money that you borrow. When you earn money, you pay taxes before you get to spend it. You know, when you earn money, you might only have 70 cents on the dollar to spend since the government took the other 30 cents. But, and this is crucial, guys, if you borrow a dollar, you get to spend the full dollar, the whole dollar, since you didn't actually earn it. And income tax is only on the money you earned and not that you borrowed. So if someone wants to buy a house and they take on a mortgage for say $300,000, uh, the IRS is not gonna try to claim that you earned $300,000 that year, nor does the IRS try to tax you on that $300,000. Why? Because again, you borrowed from the bank and you have to pay that bank back. If the IRS tried to tax you on everything that you borrowed, nobody would buy a house because we couldn't afford to. 
uh, due to the taxes, right? So what's enabling this? Well, we could get into the super low interest rates that we're all living in right now, enabled by the Federal Reserve, uh, which unfortunately is also pushing up. It's pushing down interest rates, but it's also supporting the rise in stocks and real estate. You know, when, when interest rates are low, markets bound higher and higher and higher. So without the Fed's lowering interest rates, we would not be seeing executives, these uber wealthy, borrowing against their highly inflated stock prices. And since that arbitrage between the interest paid and the debt and the growth on last year's stock price is so high, there's no cost to their loans. So think, thinking about it this way, the Fed is actually enabling this buy, borrow, die strategy for things that are inflated, like the stocks and real estate that the uber wealthy use. So used in the right way, debt can be a powerful tool to reduce or eliminate income tax and estate tax. And let's talk about this very quickly. So debt has a few great tax advantages. One, it uses after-tax dollars. Second, it can be used as leverage to buy more real estate or other things that appreciate tax-free. Third, interest expenses are generally a current deduction that can offset any income tax you still owe. If the property held for investment is eventually sold, that gain is normally taxed at lower capital gains rates. And then finally, as the property appreciates in value, debt can be used to monetize the asset, okay, to get money out of the out of the side of the house without creating a taxable event. So in step one, just to summarize so far, we've been able to make wealth without cash. We've made wealth without taxable income as our asset goes up in value. In step two, you borrow money. That's no big deal from the government's point of view because you're supposed to pay back that money. And now we're borrowing money because we're wealthy and we're wealthy because our assets went up in value. And there's no tax that's been paid so far in this story. So step three is die. Okay, I'll admit, dying is probably not the most enthusiastic part of this whole plan, okay? But the good thing is, we were able to legally avoid income tax during our entire lifetime. And as an added income tax benefit, when a taxpayer dies, they're going to pass on what's called a stepped up basis to their heirs, uh, where the tax gain miraculously disappears. In other words, there is no income tax on real estate appreciation accumulated during your lifetime. And the heirs can take that highly appreciated real estate and get the property, sell it the next day after you pass away, and there's no tax on, on their gain either. If the heirs decide to keep the property, they can depreciate the property all over again on that new stepped-up tax basis. It's an incredible tactic, incredible strategy. So guys, honestly, we're all going to die, and we can enjoy and rejoice at the prospect because we're going to get a stepped-up basis, which means all of our assets get one big jump up in value. If our home was 100 grand when we bought it and it's a million dollars when we die and we leave it to our kids, that value of the home in their pocket, their basis or their cost basis is $1 million and they can sell it the next day tax-free if our children decide to. So we've completed the loop. So whether it's you're selling your house or giving your house back to the bank or paying off a home equity loan, selling stocks to pay off that giant margin loan, we're simply getting the life insurance death benefit proceeds from them. And then you use that to pay off any other debts. We've closed the loop. Buy, borrow, die. You've never paid any tax during your lifetime. And your heirs aren't going to face any tax as they get started on their life. Uh, they can sell your assets, pay off your debts, and whatever's left over, get to do it all over again. And that's it. Buy, borrow, die.
So for most Americans, taxes are pretty simple. There's a big divide between the wealth class and the wage class. People with wages are going to be faced with onerous tax systems with fewer and fewer deductions or exits. On the wealth side, on the assets side, it really comes down to buy, borrow, die. That's the basics. That's why Warren Buffett pays almost no tax. So there's a caveat to buy, borrow, die. The, the caveat is you got to buy your ticket. You got to buy your ticket. So here's what I mean. In 2013, uh, Mark Zuckerberg was kind of brand new in the billionaire space, kind of out of nowhere. And he had to pay in 2013 somewhere between $1 and $2 billion in taxes. Youch! So that sounds like a tough pill for anybody to swallow. Why did he have to pay that much in tax? Well, he was reaping giant financial gains from exercising some of his stock options in Facebook that triggered the tax bill. And he has benefited from favorable tax rules all along the way. Even better, Zuckerberg's going to survive this encounter with the tax man and be in a position to never have to pay taxes again for the rest of his life. So truly, the truly rich don't have to pay any tax once they have their fortunes in hand. They can follow a couple of steps of, of the buy, borrow, die process. They buy those assets with after-tax dollars like Mark Zuckerberg did, shares of internet stocks or whatever, and then he borrows to finance his lifestyle. And then as he hopefully a long time from now passes away, he'll get a step-up basis for his heirs, wherein the tax miraculously disappears. So Zuckerberg now has that $11 billion or more from which he can play the game by borrow die. He can live off money borrowed against that huge sum, and he'll never have to sell that asset as a gain and never have to show ordinary income on a salary ever again. He, he takes a $1 salary. So in, in fact, Mark Zuckerberg's children will have the most important golden ticket of all. Mark can bequeath that, that uh, golden ticket, if you will. Uh, he'll be able to leave that inheritance income tax-free, and they'll begin to invest that money, the kids will, without having to worry about paying taxes up front. They won't have to buy into the same game that Mark Zuckerberg did. So this is how you get onto the train. You got to buy your ticket to buy, borrow, die. Now, how does this all fit with bank on yourself? I want to get right into this strategy, guys, because it's huge. Now that we understand the buy, borrow, die steps, let's look at how bank on yourself does it better than just about any other asset class. So again, life insurance designed the bank on yourself way is a beautiful buy, borrow, die strategy. You can give money to the insurance company, that's called premium, and it goes into the policy as cash value and death benefit. And that begins to grow your cash value and it rises in value, okay? But inside the policy, you're not having to pay taxes on the increase of your wealth. It's a tax-deferred bucket of wealth increasing every year. So this is a perfect tool for step number one, buying assets that don't spin off cash. Step two, you can borrow against the cash value whenever you need it to live or eat or have some fun or whatever, and you're not going to have to pay that loan off until you die. If you've strategized and worked with a bank on yourself professional, the loans simply accumulate and you pass away and the loans are netted out by the death benefit. That's step three. When you pass away, the loan will be paid off by the proceeds of the life insurance company. So let's get into bank on yourself and buy, borrow, die in greater detail. Step one, much like with Mark Zuckerberg, we are going to buy our ticket. We're going to buy it with after-tax dollars. So you might be starting a 
cycle of wealth. In fact, it might be a multiple generational cycle of wealth using this buy, borrow, die strategy. So using your money, you get the money into the policy. It's sort of a wheel, a financial flywheel that gets going and it gets going for your entire life, even multiple generations. Now, life insurance premiums are almost always purchased with after-tax dollars. So it looks like Mark Zuckerberg had to pay to get into the wealthy club. And same with the rest of these guys, right? But once he's there, he'll never have to pay taxes again for the rest of his life. Similarly, you are free and clear. Once the cash value is in that policy, the tax goes away. It's never again taxed if you've designed the policy correctly. So once it goes into the policy, the life insurance policy, and it grows in the policy compounded, it's always accumulating, but it's never spinning off checks in the mail that you have to pay your taxes on. So guys, this is quite unlike wages or worse, mutual funds or dividend paying stocks, which force you to pay taxes constantly. The biggest problem with the buy step, the B-U-Y buy step for most other assets is that the IRS finds a way to get your income and forces you to pay taxes on it every year. For example, dividend paying stocks. While it's nice to see those stocks value grow and it's, it's part of the buy, borrow, die strategy, uh, when you receive a dividend check, you must report that as income and pay taxes on that dividend every single year, which effectively destroys the buy, borrow, die strategy. Income is your enemy when you're using the buy, borrow, die strategy. The same problem exists with real estate, rental income, or even interest off your CD or money market accounts each year. You're going to have to pay taxes on that money received. And yes, yes, super real estate Savvy uh, listeners might know that there are some great tax strategies to lower current income like bonus depreciation and more. Eventually, there's nothing left to deduct on your real estate or to depreciate on your real estate, and yet your rent check will keep coming. That will force you to pay taxes in the future. That's not a great strategy for buy, borrow, die. Now, Warren Buffett has been public about his tactic here. In fact, he's intentionally not issuing dividends from Berkshire Hathaway his company. And they haven't issued a dividend since 1965. If Berkshire had offered anywhere close to the average dividend in recent years, Buffett would have had received $1 billion in dividend income and owed millions in taxes each year. So this is an intentional move to not receive income. And in fact, dividends on whole life insurance uh, are technically referred to as something very different in the tax code. This is huge. Dividends on whole life insurance are technically referred to as a refund of premium, which is a big deal. It means dividends that you withdraw up to the premium you pay in are generously characterized as that return of premium paid. In other words, it's not taxable. Most of our clients actually use these dividends and send them right back into their policy internally. All this happens internally inside the policy to purchase more paid up additions which is a specific tool of bank on yourself policies that accelerate the growth of their wealth even faster. So would you believe me if I told you that not even the uber wealthy can do better than this? For example, even though Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, owns several life insurance companies. Now, side note, what does he know that Dave Ramsey doesn't about life insurance and how great a spot it is for parking wealth? But Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, cannot legally own the companies I would recommend to our clients, since the companies I'd recommend must be mutually owned by us policyholders and not by outside institutions or public companies like Berkshire Hathaway. So 
one would think that these dividends inside the whole life insurance would be considered a distribution of profit, right? We're getting profits. These are dividend, dividend checks. And yes, you are able to take a check. Your dividends could be sent to you as a check. But again, as long as you keep your whole life policy in force and the bank on yourself designed policy was intended to put the dividends into paid up additions, then no taxes will ever be due on your dividend checks as you receive them back into your policy. So that's step one, buying the whole life insurance policy. Step two is borrowing. You can borrow. You can use the life insurance as collateral. You can borrow that money out and the capital, the whole life cash value will continue to grow as if you did not touch the money. Only life insurance cash values from whole life insurance companies designed the bank on yourself way with non-direct loans guarantee the money will grow for you each and every year that you have the policy, even if you borrow against it. All other assets I'm aware of, guys, in the financial universe can and probably will lose value. When the wealthy borrow against their assets, Tesla stock or whatever, they're assuming that those assets will always continue to grow. And I'm saying, guys, that's stupid. That's stupid. What grows forever in the stock market? When markets crash, and they might over one's entire lifetime, remember, buy, borrow, die is a lifelong multiple generations strategy the uber wealthy could find themselves big time underwater on all of their loans. And that is a big uh-oh. So this cannot happen with life insurance since it's guaranteed to grow for us every year. We always have a higher value in our policy no matter what. With the uber wealthy, when they employ the strategy of buy, borrow, die with assets like stock or real estate, etc. You know, guys, remember, they must assume that they're always going to have a generous banker willing to lend them more money. Think to yourself for a minute. Are bankers always generous? Have they been with you so far? Well, you might loan Mark Zuckerberg some cash. You know, he's got a high degree of certainty. He'll probably pay you back if you had the chance to loan Mark some cash. But that might not, it might not always be the case, especially if markets and situations change. Uh, I mean, nothing's guaranteed about Facebook stock value, right? What if stocks go down? The whole buy, borrow, die thing reverses itself and all these wealthy executives would be in big time trouble. And let's say you heard about buy, borrow, die somewhere on the internet and you decided to use the asset of stocks to live on like Elon Musk while stock prices soar. If you borrow heavily against your brokerage account and you're funding your, your lifestyle and then all of a sudden the underlying asset the brokerage account crashes or falls in value, the margin loan that you've got on your brokerage account might get called. They call that a margin call, meaning you would have to pay them some serious cash right away to get straight. And if you've been living off borrowed money off that brokerage account for 30 years to fund your high lifestyle and all your assets come crumbling down, you could come up with maybe a little bit of cash, but goodness, could you come up with the money you really needed to meet that giant margin call? Youch, that doesn't sound great. Not a great way to live. Now, if the Fed were to do the right thing and raise interest rates, asset prices would crash. Stocks, real estate would all come tumbling down. And second, the cost of borrowing against your asset would go way up. So this would actually force a lot of margin calls on all these uber wealthy people. They would have to liquidate their millions of shares of stock, assuming they still had any gains to sell, right? And they'd be forced at that point to pay a ton of income tax. So the goal should not be to brandish these wealthy folks or, or start some new tax system that 
that taxes their wealth, but rather simply let the market dictate interest rates uh, to let the Fed get out of the way and, and let's get back to normal interest rates. So that might mean bringing interest rates up to who knows, six, seven, eight percent, who knows. Uh, but if that should happen, other wealthy people's stock and real estate will start to fall in price, as mentioned earlier. However, life insurance companies will start to see their dividend balance sheets improve. So I'm actually looking forward to higher interest rates. I know that sounds anathema, but again, we're not so average around here. Since life insurance companies are not out there just buying and selling stocks or bonds daily, they're holding those fixed income assets like bonds. They're holding them for five years, 10 years, 20 years. They're holding them to maturity. So your policy, the life insurance cash value policy would actually improve its projections. It would actually start to see better and higher cash values with bigger and juicier dividends, making the strategy of life insurance even more lucrative uh, as interest rates rise. And that would be, you know, of course, beating out Bezos, Musk, and Bloomberg at their own game. Tactically speaking, after we built up significant cash value in the life insurance policy, you can begin to borrow against that policy's cash value and live on that to support your lifestyle for as long as you wish. However long you intend to live, you can be borrowing against the cash value without realizing a penny of income tax. And by the way, all this avoids provisional income for Medicare and Social Security as well. Unlike other loans, you don't have to rely on a generous banker when you're borrowing from your life insurance. You know, you're, you're able to borrow against your cash value and your right to borrow is written right into the contract and it's guaranteed, guaranteed by the insurance company, guaranteed by contract law in this country that protects all contracts. So to me, uh, the safer way to do buy, borrow, die is inside cash value life insurance designed the bank on yourself way. And it has the added benefit of not stopping the growth of the cash value when you borrow against it. That's awesome. Okay, so finally, step three. See step three as die. Now, ultimately, after decades of wealth accumulation, the estate tax is supposed to serve as a backdrop. It's a way to kind of catch the uber wealthy at their own game. But in reality, preparing for death is more like a last stage of tax avoidance. So there's an income tax due. That's one whole system in the tax law. And then there's an estate tax. And if you avoid income tax your whole life, the idea is the estate tax gets you when you leave. But the reality is the ultra wealthy have figured out a way to avoid the estate tax as well. In fact, out of the 25 richest people in America today, about 25% of them are inheritors. In other words, they are heirs of an estate. Three of them are the Waltons, you know, from Walmart. Two are kids of the Mars candy fortune. And another is the son of Estee Lauder. So in order to pull off this feat, this one final magic act of tax avoidance, the super wealthy set up complicated philanthropic charitable organizations, which may or may not serve the world's interests, but nevertheless reflect their own personal values of the wealthy magistrates that they are. <laughs> and they're forced to give away much of their wealth during their lifetime to avoid this dreaded estate tax. It could be as much as 40% of their life savings sent away to the government. So we can do much better than this with a much simpler solution using life insurance contracts. We don't need a complicated, very expensive foundation. We don't need to give away all of our wealth during our lifetime unless we want to. You might not have millions of dollars just to hand out freely like Bill Gates and his friends. Life insurance automatically is left income tax-free to your beneficiaries, whether it's a charity or a family member. 
and you don't need an expensive trust written up, nor do you need to hire an armada of expensive attorneys. Life insurance death benefits do add to your estate, okay? So it adds to the estate, meaning you would pay an estate tax if you exceed the threshold. Now, currently, that estate tax threshold is set at $22 million. So if your net worth on the day you pass away is $21 bucks, you owe $0 in estate taxes under the current law. But the way we get around this with life insurance is if you're spending down the cash value, as I mentioned in step two, as you're borrowing against your cash value, that will then reduce your death benefit. Remember, the death benefit is only paid out net any loans. So as you're borrowing against your policy throughout your retirement years, you're going to see your death benefit come down. Most of our clients, as they reach retirement age, they might have several million dollars as a death benefit at age 65. They might be getting kind of nervous about that estate tax threshold. But by the time they expect they'll pass away at age 95, their death benefit might only be a few hundred thousand dollars since they have you know, been borrowing from their cash value for 20, 30 years. And as long as their cash value has exactly $1 in, in the policy on the day they pass away, exactly $1 is all they need in their policy on the day they pass away, their remaining death benefit will be netted out by their loan and all of the gains in the policy would not be taxable to their beneficiaries or to their estate or anybody else. And that also lowers the threshold and will not trigger an estate tax either. So I think we can see now that by using buy, borrow, die and how nicely it comes together with bank on yourself, to me, it's almost like looking at a breathtaking masterpiece in an art museum. It's like watching all the parts and pieces laid together. It's, it's, a, it's at once simple and incredibly nuanced in its approach. It's beautiful. Let me end this episode with an example of buy, borrow, die using bank on yourself. So we recently had a 35-year-old who decided he was able to put away roughly $122,000 a year into a life insurance policy for exactly 10 years. After 10 years, he'd stop paying for the policy completely. Now, first of all, I, I just want to step aside here and just say, you might have more than that to save. You might have a lot less than that to save. So pay less attention to the dollars for him and just realize that you could be doing half that or double that and the results are going to be proportional. Okay, so our 35-year-old puts away $122,000 a year into a life insurance policy for exactly 10 years. After 10 years, he stops paying for the policy completely, and then he begins borrowing against the policy for all the things he needs in life. In fact, by year two, he's already started borrowing from the policy for his car. And we'll get into what this looks like over time. At age 65, fast forward now, at age 65, he'll have $3.3 million in cash value, and he'll have a $6 million death benefit. So, What's he start doing? As I mentioned, in year two, he starts borrowing. He borrows from his policy to support his lifestyle. And he'll start using this also to help him invest and do other fun things. So from age 35 to 65, he buys a total of five cars, uh, totaling $375,000. He buys multiple business investments, totaling $3 million. He also sends his own children to college for a total price tag of $1.2 million dollars. And all told, he borrows $4.5 million against his policy. 
Remember, he only paid 122 grand a year for 10 years, way back when he was 35 to 45 years old. Now he's 65 years old, and the policy is worth, as mentioned, $3.3 million, as much as he would have had otherwise had he not borrowed against the policy for the cars, the college, the business investments. So again, the policy continues to grow like he never touched it. Now, now that he's 65 years old, he wants to take tax-free income against his policy. So that's exactly what he does. He pulls $175,000 a year income tax-free as a loan against his policy for 35 years from age 65 to age 100. Guys, add it all up. That's a grand total of $6.1 million that he was able to remove out of his policy during his lifetime. And recall, he only paid 122 grand a year for 10 years, way back when he was a youngster. But he enjoyed $4.5 million of liquid money that he had been borrowing and paying back all of throughout his life as he repays the loans. You know, you never steal from your own bank. And he has another $6.1 million available to spend over his retirement years. And at age 100, he's not done yet. At age, at age 100, he's been able to successfully avoid all of the income taxes of his lifetime. He also avoids the estate tax as well. Under current law, the single tax filer estate tax exemption is 11 million bucks. And he would have had to be in that range had he not taken all of the money out of his policy. But because he by borrowed died, as, as, as I mentioned, because he borrowed against his life insurance in retirement, it drains down the death benefit. So the death benefit is only a measly $1.3 million. I suppose his heirs will have to struggle along on that paltry sum. <laughs> so we've covered a lot of ground on this episode today. I'm betting that there are questions still you know, rattling around in your minds. But let's simplify everything. You can either become the next Warren Buffett, Mark Zuckerberg, and run a complicated shell game of pumping up your stock price, keeping your bankers happy, and begging the Fed never to raise interest rates, borrowing against the bankers to keep your lifestyle going, and then slide into the grave hoping your very expensive foundations and attorneys will keep your wishes in the elaborate series of LLCs and trusts you've set up. Or you can simply set up a whole life insurance policy to operate your entire financial life, avoiding traumatic stock punches that will undoubtedly happen over your lifetime and pay as little out of pocket as possible for taxes, both now and beyond the grave. And if you set this up correctly and taught your children and favorite charities about this strategy, they too will receive an income tax-free inheritance from you, by which they can then use it as a golden ticket to purchase more life insurance and start the cycle all over again. Now, when my mom died a few years ago, she definitely was not among the uber wealthy class. Okay, she was a wonderful, godly woman, but she did not leave us with, you know, millions of dollars of real estate and stocks. She hardly had anything to leave my brother and I besides the three life insurance policies that she had set up, all of which was sent to my brother and I within two weeks of her passing away. We both got each of us a sizable sum of cash. Now, guys, while I would a million times over rather my mom still be with me, what an incredible way for an average person like her to become not your average revolutionary. She did not need a complicated trust or a billion shares of Berkshire Hathaway. She did it with a couple of simple bank on yourself, life insurance contracts, and, and an intention to think different. So my key here is 
will you also think different? So you've done so today. You've spent the time. You've made it this far, guys. So I'd love to speak with you about the buy, borrow, die strategy and learn more about how this might fit for you. You can reach out to us at notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Click on request a meeting. Thank you for joining me today for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.